Did, have we started? We've started. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Wait, are we on? Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah you're all on. Right. Yeah. Hey, welcome back to Against Medical Advice. I'm Rob Orman, your host. I'm host of the ER Cast podcast and Essentials of Emergency Medicine. You might be asking yourself, why am I here? Why am I sitting in the main seat of Against Medical Advice? Well, what'd we, you do with CDOC, Rob Orman? Stand by to what'd stand you by. Do? What'd you do? He's right here. Oh. Oh. But when you listen to this show, when you watch this show, you hear Z-Dog talking about vaccines, talking about, you know, things that are just kind of up in his rectum, sometimes the colon, sometimes the jejunum. It goes deep. But you know, what you never hear is what goes on behind the scenes, what goes on in the mind of Z-Dog MD. What's he really like? What's he think? What's he do during the day? That's what we're going to dig into today. Z-Dog MD, welcome. Welcome to your show. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> you know, and Meredith uh, Reynolds-Diaz says, ER cast in the house, in Rob. The, in the house. Rob hosts one of the most popular emergency medicine podcasts around, and that's why I said, I'm just gonna give the show to you because you can interview me because I'm a dimwit compared to you. <laughs> so, I went to Twitter and I said, hey, I'm interviewing Z-Dog tomorrow, and if anybody has any questions, send them in. And so, we're gonna go to those questions. Here's what I got. <laughs> I, got no, I got Welcome to the Twitter hole. I got. I hate Twitter. I got nothing. Yeah, because it sucks. If you had done it on Facebook, you would have gotten at least like 20 people going, does he wear boxers or briefs? What's it? <laughs> I guess that's the first question. That's a good place to start is, do you wear underwear? And if you do, what kind? Depends. Not actually depends. Actually depends? That's my full answer and I'm sticking to it. All right. Not, not like me undies. I mean, they support all the podcasts. I used to, I, oh, is that that's, true? That's, I, that's what I go oh, for. Oh, you know, I mean, they like what? What? Uh, what's his name is always like. I'm supported by. I love these pants because these panties because they hold up my 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 balls and stuff. No, I don't do that. I don't sell out to big underwear, Rob. That's what <laughs> separates me from Dr. Oz. It's one click. You start selling her out to underoos. Mm. The next thing you know, Pfizer is paying for your Camry. Okay. Well, I totally sold out. And I was an early adopter to MeUndies, super comfortable. And then my, my family for years made fun of me. And then my wife bought them for Christmas for everybody. And now everybody's a convert. And they don't even sponsor this show. You're giving them free money, MeUndies. I'm sorry. That's yes. just, MeUndies, by the way, um, it's your boy Z-Dog MD. <laughs> we are desperate for non-medical sponsors, okay? So hit us up. These nuts are your nuts if you got the scratch. Anyways, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, so when you walk into the studio, you, you, you know, this is a, a nice looking desk, a nice, a nice set, but you walk in here, the first thing you see, you see a lot of, a lot of merch, a lot of Z-Dog merch. We've got the Z-Dog leader bottle. Here we go, Z-Dog leader bottle. And then in Z-Dog's office, he's got an assortment of magazines featuring <laughs> Z-Dog MD. Is it, um, is it the pinnacle of douchiness when you have all of this stuff around? Or is it just uh, c celebrating and supporting yourself? Rob, I like to think that I've attained maybe 50 to 60% of potential douches. <laughs> yeah. If this is Dr. Oz, yeah. I'm probably here, right? Dr. Mike and I are in close cahoots as to right. who can be the bigger douche. You aspire to greatness. I aspire to greatness. So my hope is all the walls are plastered with my own merchandise, <laughs> uh, mostly underwear-based. Right. But yeah, no, no, I'm glad you noticed that we are self-promoting assholes because that's what we do here. Is it, now, are those, t are those connected, self-promoting, and assholes? It's like a fistula. <laughs> right. It, it runs through it, right? And it's just a continual drainage. A con constant, mildly purulent drainage with a slightly feculent odor. And slightly stronger than placebo. Slightly. 
All right, let's yeah. get to it. Let's get to it. When when we first met years ago, probably eight years ago. Yeah, right we, at the beginning. Right at the beginning. I was starting my show. You were just starting your videos. We were just just puppies. You were an internist at Stanford. Yes. You were a hospitalist. And I'd say, yeah, what, why, why are you doing these videos? What's going on? Because you always want to know what the motivation is for someone. And, well, you said, uh, I, I would say the summary was, so you didn't go insane. You said, so I don't strap a suicide vest to my chest and, uh, and go walk outside and blow myself up. I think I said that on your show. Uh, you probably and did. And I was still a practicing full-time at Stanford. Yeah so, that, yeah, so that was about eight years ago yeah. we were doing that. And now this is your, your full-time job is doing this and public speaking. But how, what was the, the tipping point from when you went from, from that, from this being, from it being a hobby to being your job? Yeah, well, you know, and I still see patients at the UMC Hospital with the house stuff, so I'm adjunct faculty there, and I, I round and that kind of thing, but I don't make money from that. Mm -hmm. So now you're right, my income is dependent on these two clowns not accidentally saying something on camera that's gonna get me arrested, <laughs> uh, and you know, trying to, trying to be the voice of what we think is a movement. Where it started to tip was probably about five years ago when I moved to Vegas, mm -hmm. when Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos, was like, yeah, I saw your videos, yeah, Manhood in the Mirror, which was our Michael Jackson parody right. uh, about testicular cancer, uh, self-exams, uh, where I grab myself repeatedly. And it's not just for testicular cancer anymore. No, it's for everything. <laughs> there it is. All right, there, I mean, I, I would catch an early torsion. It wouldn't be the <laughs> searing pain that would give it away. It would be my self-exam. So he said, you need a restraining order. There's something very wrong with you. Uh, and there's a bunch of other people who are a little bit crazy in Vegas and we're doing this thing. So he said, I'll, I'll give you some investment money if you want to start a clinic or do something that actually actualizes the stuff you're complaining about. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was the hardest thing, man. Like imagine, Rob, if like some weird... Uh, uh, Asian fairy godmother came down, who was a billionaire, <laughs> and said, who, who, he, he knew my wife back in school, mm -hmm. um, and said, look, here's your chance to stop complaining and go and do something, but you're gonna have to give up everything you know and all the safety and comfort and the fact that your parents are gonna think you're insane. My mm -hmm. Indian dad was like, what are you, this idiot wants you to sell <laughs> shoes in the desert for Zappos? You moved from a nice place in San Francisco to. I mean, to, to Vegas, and you were like, oh, do I want, I mean, you were really struggling over that. Do I want to move to Vegas? Well, you know, yeah, and I think the we moved to downtown Vegas, mm -hmm. which at that time in particular, what, it was being redeveloped by Tony, and it was basically like my daughters, who at that time were like three and one, were, knew all the homeless guys' names, like knew the guy who was spray painted uh, silver and did the little, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Jerome, and he would break character for them. Oh, Nina would come running up. And that was a different world than, you know, Belmont, California with a little house on the hill with a view of the bay and a little nice bedroom community. So for us, it, the whole thing was terrifying. My wife quit her job too and took a Telerade's job, which was really, it was not the same level of academic satisfaction that she had. So for us, our lives were thrown into just chaos, but I never once looked at it and said, this, I, I have a regret, I wouldn't have done it. But what, what, was, the, what was the principle you were, you were banking on? You know, you're, you could say, oh yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna go for it. But was it, you know, were you thinking, I don't wanna regret this, I'm gonna go for it? Were you thinking, how am I gonna be fulfilled rather than just kinda, you know, being a, being a cog in the wheel? You know what it was is you, you, you moved to the desert. So I was always been, I'm a lot like you. We're type A's, we're like driven, we, we're about, sort of some degree of achievement, 
uh, professional achievement, et cetera, m some degree of material success. Like I need to have a house and I need a car, I need to support my kids, that kind of thing. So I had all that in spades in my 30s when this decision was made, and 38 is when we made the decision. What hey, I, can, we, can we put up a picture of Zubin with the full head of hair? Can we get that off of? I wish. Off online, oh, there is one, there is one. So I'm just thinking about you in your 30s. <laughs> Ain't nobody ever when you seen had, that. You, when you had the full Captain Stubing. <laughs> I was amazing. Okay, <laughs> was, that was hair, I was considering at one point a back hair transplant. <laughs> Just transferring this to that and combing it over. And it would have been lush. It would have kept me warm. So we'll go back to that. So now, yeah. so the, the guiding, the thing that you, you banked on, I mean, what, was the, what was the principle so what, you were using? What, what I was banking on was finding a purpose. Mm -hmm. So I could have continued the job I was doing pretty easily. It would have sucked because you could see health 2.0, we call it, really creeping in. We were uh, held to certain productivity standards as hospitalists. The house staff were being pulled away because of work hour rules, because millennials are lazy, the, <laughs> the, the, and other reasons that are more humane. And, and, but the sense that I was a cog in a very broken machine and was not contributing, if I were replaced, it no, the universe would not notice. Right now, what I wanted is a thing where if I suddenly were to die, the universe would be like, "Oh shit!" Like that's kind of fucked up. Like I missed that guy, which means I was doing my story, my purpose. So that's what I was looking for. And honestly, it was a struggle, man. Like the first year we were here, I was learning how to let go of some of this neurotic drive for achievement. Like, what do I do? How do I start this? What do I, you know, it, it was very disconcerting because you're used to a very regimented day. You get up at the crack of dawn, you round, you come home, you do this, you take call, and you have certain metrics that you can fulfill at least. There were no metrics. And I remember asking Tony, I'm like, so, what's the retirement plan here? You guys have a 401k, what's the deal? And he's like, yeah, the retirement plan is don't fuck up or you go broke. <laughs> I'm like, that's not a cool retirement plan. So it was very disconcerting. I think you visited me. Yeah, and right, right when you were starting and you were, you were starting Turntable Health. Yeah. Like, Turntable Health was kind of cool, kind of cool name, turning the tables. Look what this motherfucker health. did. That's the picture. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that going up? There it is. There it is. There it is. I look like Sasha Baron Cohen like in a Turkish prison. <laughs> you did, I, for the record, did not have a monobrow. Yeah, thank you. All See, right. I didn't have a monobrow. Lies. I've always had a failed monobrow. <laughs> it like tried to grow and it failed. So. Yeah, instead of, instead of tweezing it, you were thinking yep. transplant. I said transplant. Just to complete the arc. Exactly right. So, start, you, so you were, beyond a purpose was starting this clinic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Turntable Health to redefine healthcare in Las Vegas. To try to figure out what I saw was broken when I was a hospitalist is like, and you see it in, as an emergency doc, there's a failure of preventing disease, there's a failure of outpatient primary care to actually coordinate care across the continuum. There's, there's a lot of stuff we do to people that causes complication that doesn't necessarily have outcomes that matter to the patients. And then we don't educate our patients, we don't speak to them in languages they can understand, we make them come to us instead of going to them and speaking their language. Part of the reason I started making videos is like, well, I can speak the language of patients in music and lyrics and things that get stuck in people's heads so that their unconscious really resonates with it. And then the idea of turntable was, now let's actualize that into a clinical model that focuses on prevention where we're paid to actually keep people healthy, where it's not a fee-for-service model, where it's team-based. So 
You have people who aren't clinicians like health coaches who we train up. Because all you need is some goddamn emotional intelligence. You need to be able to get a story out of people, make them feel like you care about them, because you do, and then have a team that supports each other. And when you do that, then the doctor gets to practice at the very top of their license. They get to do high-level shit instead of, you know, clicking the boxes all day. So that was the hope. Now, we went into it with this huge idealism, and we went through it with a lot of idealism. What we found is that trying to do that kind of system, the patients loved it, the caregivers loved it, <laughs> the payer loved it that we partnered with until they went out of business. And then suddenly we lost 4,000 patients, and we're like, fuck. And at that point, we had a crisis. Do we continue? Do we put money, more investment money into this? Because Tony was willing to do that. Mm -hmm. But I said, no, we need to stop let our partners grow this model in states that can support it, because Vegas is still the Wild West. And then I'm gonna do something that I've always been scared and terrified to do, which is own the frippin' flickin' fucking see, I can't even spit it out. It's like my, my brain wants to stop me from saying this. Own the fact that I am not a hospitalist mm -hmm. anymore. I'm not someone who sees 20 patients a day for a living. That's not my role in the universe anymore. My role is to get this Z-Pack, this tribe, people like you, people like Tom and Logan who are activist muggles who aren't medical people to all stand together and go, fuck, we're gonna- Wait, wait a second. Who's the muggle? I'm, I'm, I'm getting lost in Harry Potter here. Muggles are non-medical people. Yes. Yeah. Wait, are we muggles? No. Are we, we wizards? We're wizards. Okay. And we speak Latin, like expectorate sputonum instead of hakalugi. All right, so you want to pull the, bring the muggles we in, wanna, into the we, fold. We wanna be the platform that points out the bright spots in medicine, that has authenticity. They go, you know what, this guy was in the trenches for so many years, still sees patients at the hospital, but also isn't afraid to say dick on the air, isn't afraid to call a spade a spade, and isn't in anyone's pocket. So you're not gonna see a pharma ad on this show. You're not, this shit's not gonna happen. So having that authenticity, having a voice and a platform, and having a moderate amount of talent to display it to the world, that's what I'm here to do. And it took me how many years since I started this to really fucking own that. Okay, but so you went, but there's a point there. You went from a clinic, say, okay, you're here, you're gonna run this, you're gonna start this clinic, run this clinic, it's working well, you've got this team approach, people are loving it, the funding runs dry. You're, at, at that time, you know, you're, you're making videos, you're gonna, you know, doing the thing that you have been doing, but there's this transition to, you know, you're now a public speaker, you're now doing, doing this show. W what was that move? You know, it was, I was doing all that during the clinic. Mm -hmm. And I'll t you, want, you want me to really be honest? Because Shh, no, one will hear this. no one's watching, right. except for 340 people. The most miserable I've been recently in the last 10 years wasn't working the hospital at Stanford. It wasn't um, you know, being, having my long, dark night of the soul, realizing what am I gonna do with my life. It was sitting in a fucking meeting with some asshole healthcare administrator trying to pitch my clinic, which I knew worked, which I knew was the answer to fixing this problem in healthcare, and seeing how just hopeless it was to make this case to someone who is dependent on the bottom line exposing itself next quarter for their stockholders. Mm -hmm. Sitting in a meeting with a United Health representative who has no concern beyond keeping his own job 
and making sure his superior knows that he's doing something in this big matrix. That's all he cares about. And I'm going there with heart and soul going, we've figured some of this out. We have patients who are happy, providers who are happy. This is how we do it. And sitting in those meetings and knowing that you're dealing with someone who does not give a fuck. And that was miserable. And I did that mm -hmm. for three years. And when I got to stop doing that, and come here and then tell people what I actually think, it was like this huge liberation. So it was a slow process that now, and, and remember, I couldn't say what I wanted to say mm -hmm. when I have a clinic right. that I'm accountable to the doctors and I don't want them to have to answer to patients. He said this on the thing. Well, now I don't answer to anyone except for you, Rob, because you're handsome. <laughs> <laughs> and that rant, you've got a little spittle. I got angry. <laughs> you got angry. I got angry. You're like my mom, you got a little, <laughs> <laughs> you're like the Jewish mom I never had, except I did because she's an Indian mom. It's you're the same thing. You're welcome. Thank you're welcome. you. But you know, but you also went. I want to. I want to find out where this happened because there was a risk. You went from doctor income, like you had. Yeah. You had income from doctoriness. Yeah. To, to this, which is you're reliant on your own wits and. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so to speak. It's not okay. That's yeah. not, this is not okay. This is not okay. This is happening. So you, um, you, know, you, you made that, that leap. Now, was that a leap or was that kind of a phase out and this other thing was phasing in? It was a leap in many ways. The, the hedge that we always had is we're both doctors, me and my wife. Mm -hmm. So if everything fell apart, there was never this feeling that we were going to be out on the street. There was a, fe a feeling, it was a worse feeling. We were going to have to go back to the same jobs we were doing. That's the worst possible outcome. We'll make the same money we made before and we'll have to do that job. Now knowing, being woke, being like, oh, I've seen it work better. I've seen things and I've learned all about health policy and I've done all these other things. Now to go back to that and work in that matrix for pay, it seems impossible to me. I would melt. And that's not to say, I'm not criticizing people who do that. I'm saying, once you are woke, <laughs> you go back, it's very hard. I did it for years, and they were some of the happiest years I had. Mm -hmm. The first five years of my career at Stanford, I would write in a little journal, this is the best job ever. I, I am blessed to be able to do what I do. Was it that medicine 2.0 that you are now a cog in the wheel, you are a metric, yeah. versus you are, earlier, you are a clinician? Yeah, we went from this kind of, we were a kind of weird 3.0 prototype early days when I was practicing. We, we, all, we had lower volumes, the EHR hadn't really come online, mm -hmm. we spent time with our patients, we knew all our ER colleagues, we were friendly with our team because it was small. Then the thing grew, it became a corporation, instead of partners, we're shareholders. Everything started to metricize, and I'll tell you, like, it's disheartening. You've experienced it in the emergency department when you've seen it work well, to go back. You know, for those the blind you once could see, the bell tolls for thee. If, if you lose your sight, it's much worse than never having sight in the first place. So that's what it felt like. And now the feeling is, okay, we're economically terrified all the time, but it's so much better because you wake up every day, you want to do what you, what you do every day. Even if it's deal with Tom and Logan, who are borderline developmentally delayed. I mean, I don't mean to, if it's just doctor to doctor, if we're just talking, I mean, we're good. Yeah. So it is funny you're talking about the EMRs. One of the emergency departments I work in is a tiny rural hospital, and the EMR was developed off a, a dairy tracking program. Like wow. For a, and they, they turned it, and it's actually on the picture of it, it's got a little dairy. And so it's, it's super simple for tracking dairy cows. And all of the rest <laughs> of the charting is paper charting. And I recently started working there, and it is 
so refreshing. Every wow. everybody, just the whole attitude there is. I mean, I hate to say like it was in the good old days, but you you harken back to the '90s, like yeah. when we were training. That you know, it's just a team approach. Everybody just has time to take care of their patients. It's a you know little little paper charting, maybe not the most efficient for billing. Yeah. But I'll tell you, it totally reinvigorates your soul as a clinician huh. to get out of it. And I. I started feeling uncomfortable. It's kind of I was sitting down, uh, interfacing with the computer, and thinking, "All right, I need to put this in," but I didn't need to put anything in. It's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go back and talk to the patient," what? and you can just like talk to the patient. That's for, amazing for some more time. All right, backing up a little bit into kind of into the inside of the Z, into the inside of the Z. So it's kind of mostly like, jejunum, mostly a lot of redundant epididymis. Do you use do you use, do you use flax? You know, if you took my epididymis, yeah. you could wrap me up, I'd look like the goddamn Michelin man. I'm just telling you that. <laughs> Except thin stripes. Very thin, very, very thin. thin stripes. So how, how, what does your day look like? You know, start like the first hour of your day. I wake up in a cold sweat, crying. <laughs> oh my God, am I, am, I, am I gonna be able to support my family? Uh, then, <laughs> I, I get up, I, I try to get up around 4.45 a.m. And the first thing I do, and this is new, so I used to get up, immediately start answering emails, Facebook messages, yeah. go through my inbox, post something on Facebook, do this, and immediately go into work mode, which work for me is trying to create this and grow this platform of engagement, which means connecting with the tribe, planning out with Tom and Logan. We, they get up pretty early too, and we'll text each other, what's the plan for the day? Now what I do is I get up, I don't touch my phone, I don't do anything, I get my coffee, I read a few pages in The Mind Illuminated, which is the meditation book I've talked about on this show, and I think I recommend yeah, it Yeah, just you. Sent, sent me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right after that, I meditate for an hour with an Insight Timer app. And I try to focus my intention on whatever it is I'm doing that I've just read. So, okay, I'm gonna try to avoid these subtle distractions in the mind, focus back on the breath. Or I'm gonna notice dullness and lethargy in, in the mind and revitalize by focusing attention on the breath. So that's what I do for an hour. So is, it, so is most of your, just focusing in on that meditation, is it, is it mostly what you call vipassana meditation where it's just, you know, I'm, I'm acknowledging that distraction and now back to the breath. I acknowledge it, come back, come back to the breath. It is, it's part of that Vipassana or insight meditation process. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, as you go through the stages in the book, uh, and by the way, ZPAC, if you wanna find this book, it's uh, you know amazon.com forward slash shop forward slash ZDogMD. I have it listed there, it's the mind illuminated. Um, as you go through, you've you get- got your own reading list? Yeah. Respect. You're a shill, okay? <laughs> I get like, I literally get like 10 cents when people I, I buy thought, the book. I thought you couldn't make any money off those Amazon Emporium anymore. You really don't. <laughs> it's purely just a place that people can go and instantly click and get it, right. and I get five cents. All right, back to, yeah. back Anyways, to the meditation. So, back to this. so this book goes through this process. So you start with, yeah, I acknowledge distractions, and your the first thing you notice is your mind is totally distracted. And total, total monkey mind, Monkey always. mind. Exactly. Yeah. It's, and monkey mind is a way of saying, if the monkey represents distraction, it's bouncing around everywhere and all you see is all this. So you learn through this book how to overcome monkey mind. Then you learn how to overcome both subtle distractions, which are just in your peripheral awareness. You're thinking about what am I having for dinner, but you're focusing on your breathing and you learn how to make that stop. The gross distractions would suck your attention away from the breath and they're like, look at me, your taxes are due. And how do you start to, and it's fascinating the process. It takes practice, it takes mm -hmm. diligence, it takes commitment. So I said, I'm gonna make the commitment starting in 2018, mm -hmm. every day, an hour in the morning without looking at my phone. Because here's the problem. You start your day looking at emails. Look at, it takes one seed to piss you off. 
And this, I tried this the other day. Somebody sent me an angry message. They thought I was being misogynist in some video that I did. And I started stewing on that because I'm like, am I a misogynist? What's going on? Then I realized, no, fuck you, and got angry. Then I just sit down to meditate. And all I can think of is how I'm gonna respond to this person. Because the monkey mind is a defensive sort of thing. It's like, okay, we're under attack. How do we stop this? And the beautiful thing about mindfulness is you start to see that and go, look what monkey mind is doing. Oh, how adorable. He, he's really threatened by this comment because deep down he's worried. Could I have made a mistake on the show and said something stupid that hurt somebody? Well, now what do I do? Do I apologize? No, fuck that. We're just going to be who we are. Yeah, man, you own, you own it. Like, it's a you, ha you have to. You know, like Jocko Willing talks about extreme ownership. And it's just, you know, we think like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to offend. And you're doing your best to, you know, express what you think. It's like, look, what I do, I own. And yeah. I own it 100%. If you don't like it, that's fine. Um, you know, not intentionally hurting your feelings, right. but I own this. And you know what it, that does? That's not to say that you don't take feedback and go, let me think about sure. it. Sure. Did I fuck up? They're probably right. Am I wrong? Yeah. Okay, well, she's right on this point, but she's wrong on all these other points. And the reason I said it was for this reason. So there's no apology here. Mm -hmm. This is a, I own what I said. I'm now educated more about the consequences on the periphery of what I said. So it's important. I think you have to be open to those things, especially if you're in this kind of space, right? You do it on ERCast, and I'm sure you get the occasional feedback that's like, you were wrong about this, and fuck you, and this and that. Well, I've had people send me spreadsheets wow. of all of the offenses. Wow. Yes. That's good. Much Spreadsheet, respect. bitches. That's what we do. So, you know, we're talking, talking about the monkey mind. One of the best approaches to that I've heard, it was, I used to sit down, start a meditation, and think like, okay, I gotta get into the breathing, mm. was you just sit down for the first five minutes and say, what's the weather pattern? You don't, e don't even do anything. Yeah. You just sort of like look and see what the clouds and the storms are doing, and then get into it. Because if you start to push against the force of that or the tide of that, it's just, you know, it's almost impossible to overcome, but if you can just observe it for a while and say, all right, that is what it is, now I'm gonna get into it, I found that to be a lot more effective meditation technique. This is pointed out in the book, actually, and it's, I cannot emphasize that enough. It, it, if you go sit down and you go, I'm gonna meditate now, you either fall asleep, you get monkey mind, it's a fucking shit, shit show. This is what, exactly what you do. You start out, and in the book, they go through this little checklist like an airplane flight. What is my motivation? Why am I even doing this? Because if you can't get consciously motivated to do this, I wanna make myself a better person for people around me. I wanna be less re reactive. I wanna suffer less as a human being because we are born suffering and we learn how to suffer. We're conditioned to suffer, but it's not our fate. We can actually liberate ourselves from that. So you start with that checklist, then what are the obstacles here? What are the distractions that are gonna happen? Because I know, because I'm thinking about this or that comment. What I'm, I need to be diligent. This takes practice, and what's my posture? Let me make sure I set it up. Now, right. are, you, are you sitting on a cushion? Are you sitting in a chair? I sit on a chair with mm -hmm. a back to support it, with my feet on the ground, and I put my hands like this. Mm -hmm. And that just provides a continuity and a good position. And when you first start, you notice every sensation, it distracts you. Now I can sit through the worst itch that you could ever imagine could arise, and I see it arising, and I go, oh, look, an itch. And I know it's gonna dissipate if I just ignore it and acknowledge it and let it be. But that, that idea that um, you start to look at the weather pattern. So that's the sex, second step is you sit, first you become present. Where am I now? What's going on in my mind? You watch it, but you try not to get caught up. And that then sets you up to slowly bring it to the breath. 
So it is, it's absolutely a process. And people don't understand that. They think it's magic or some weird spiritual thing. Mm -hmm. It's a mind science. That's the, that's the main point. I think the, the, the benefit, people say like, well, why would you do that? Why yeah. would you even meditate? I think when you look at the difference in your day, when you do that and you don't do that, is your, your awareness of your reactions to things. Mm. You know, you're aware of it. Like, oh, I, you know, I, I, I sense that I'm, I'm becoming this. Then now I have control over what I do yeah. versus I'm immediately pissed off. I'm slapping you in the face. Can I yeah. slap you in the face? Please. Oh, God, that hurt. Sorry. I just, just really building up. I love that. That was good. That was good. It felt cathartic. Yeah. yeah. For you too? Yeah, it did. Excellent. So after, after your hour of meditation, what happens? So after the hour, then what I do is my kid usually comes into the room right about the end of the meditation. Was that like anti-meditation and like anti-zen or was that like a good transition when I slapped you in the face? It was perfect, actually. You. you know what? Because you had said something right before slapping me. By the way, people, <laughs> I'm reading some of these comments. I'm just laughing my ass off because they're like, who's that handsome guy, Sherry Martin? I'm like, that'd be that, me, that's Sherry. This guy. That'd be that, me. That guy. But they're talking about Rob. <laughs> Mother flipping. Uh, the, the, the thing you said that you're more aware of your reactions before you just automatically react. I've been doing this meditation for an hour. I've gone 65 consecutive days of an hour each. Mm -hmm. And what I find is, yes, I notice that. Like, I want to yell at somebody. Like, my first reaction is, oh, God, the guy at McDonald's didn't give me my McFlurry fast enough with a smile or whatever it is. And instead of just being like, and stewing on it and becoming angry, I go, oh, look at that. Wow, what an interesting reaction. I'm just gonna try to let that go. And it comes back and you just try to let it go. So it is, but the one thing I did notice, I've become more angry on certain days. So some days I'll have a meditation and I'll come out and for some reason, my monkey mind part that's anger, that's suppressed normally by all kinds of conditioning, don't be angry becomes free, <laughs> comes out, and I'm just a fucking dick. And it lasts for maybe a couple hours. My wife notices it, these guys notice it. Are and you mad about something or is it just kind of your demeanor? The way it's triggered, some monkey mind thought pops up. Because remember, we're not the authors of our thoughts. These are unconscious mind modules that serve stuff up into awareness and we look at it and go, I'm gonna act on this. And so we're, there's really not, free will is a bit of an illusion. So the monkey mind says, I'm really pissed off about X. And then I go, God, am I pissed off? No, I'm not, that's stupid. God, I am kind of pissed off. And then you go down that path of, here's all the things that are pissing me off. And ultimately it comes from another part of your mind going, I'm deeply scared mm -hmm. that this business is gonna fail or that people are going to suddenly realize I'm a fraud. You know, all the imposter syndrome stuff, all the unconscious stuff, and then that feeds that anger mind to project a defense around yourself. So. Here's the thing, could you even talk that way if you didn't meditate? You would never know this right. was happening. You'd just be like, I'm gonna pissed off fuck you guys, and that'd be it. Instead, by the end of the day, I go, boy, I was really a dick today. I'm gonna work harder on, not, on noticing that before it becomes me. Would you like that kind of feedback from your friends? Yeah, I would, actually, <laughs> I would. You know, you said something there that, you know, we're not the author of our thoughts. I was, oh, boy, this is probably, this is, probably like 15 years ago, mm. and I was, I was working in the emergency department. Oh, you motherfuckers, look what they're doing. <laughs> oh, that's good. It is good, I'm like Andrew Weil. You know, you have, you have very engaged fans. Uh, you, well, this is these two assholes. <laughs> oh, that's, oh. You, you have, yeah, yeah. Scratch that. They're my sort of like a, If only we could rewind. So I was, this is about 15 years ago, and I was, I was working in the emergency department, and this OBGYN came down, and she had, she had been in the military. She was super experienced and just no bullshit. Mm. And it was just, uh, 
you know, if you if you pushed, she pushed back. But she was also really, really cool, really kind. Yeah. And she walked into a room. She's a nurse. No, she's an OBGYN. 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 Yeah, because yeah, immediately I was like, she was a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> but but she, um, I, I I learned a great lesson from her because you know you kind of when patients are pissed off, just uh, switching gears a little bit. Patients are pissed off. You kind of feel it, and you yeah. and you feel pissed off back, and it's just you know it's you know push retreat. You kind of you kind of go back and forth and. Just think like, what did I do? And like, well, well, you're a jerk, and why are you like that? But she said she walked into a room, and there was a, a woman who was ha- having some. She might have needed an emergency hysterectomy or, or something. It was, you know, time sensitive. And this this woman's husband got on this OBGYN, like, you know, fuck you. You don't know what you're doing. This, that, and this. You know, clear, clearly, his distress was all focused on her because she was the only one in the room. Yeah. You know, he didn't even know her. She just got the room quiet, and she said, Sir, I am not the author of this chapter in your life, but I'm here to help you. So it's your choice on what you do next. And I was like, wow. Yeah. I'm, not the, I'm not the author of your yeah. life. I'm not yeah. the author of this chapter or this page, yeah. but I'm here to help you. I was yeah. like, wow. I've, I've used that line to, I don't know, modest effect. People, yeah. people kind of like, what kind of bullshit is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, but like thinking that, of look, I'm not. I'm not the author of whatever anger you have or personality disorder you have. You know, I'm here to help you, and I, I can't get engaged in in whatever you have going on. I have empathy, but I, I'm not part of whatever this drama is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I take it a step further, which I think many people will disagree with. But I'll say this: He's not the author of his story. You know, he, he's he's also in a way along for the ride. Now, where we should hold him culpable and us culpable is recognizing that fact. If we don't recognize that these things sometimes just bubble up and we can either react in a conditioned way, which is the natural state of how we evolve. These things evolve for a reason. Anger is there for a reason. Fear, all those things, anxiety, they're there for a reason. It's just they malfunction in a society Mm -hmm. where we're now so interdependent on each other, where, where we have the creature comforts, so this stuff is just misfiring. We can be better than that, but it's gonna take work. Sometimes you just gotta take a minute, Z, and you just gotta say, whoa, bro, slow it down. <laughs> Stop and pause, oh, reflect, d- <laughs> maybe meditate, you know? You know, if you're gonna go Z-Pak Chopra on me, I would've expected more, you know, more patchouli oil, maybe some incense Are burning. You, you uh, pay them to Photoshop? I don't pay them. <laughs> <laughs> so check, check this out. Totally unrelated story. Yeah. I was on a, a flight a couple weeks ago, and I, I was, yeah, I, this is like my ninth flight in a couple weeks, and I, I had a couple surgical masks in my, in my bag. Of and course I had, you did. <laughs> you know how it rolls. I know how it goes. You know how it rolls. And so. And a dildo. That I couldn't figure out. Or two. Or two, yeah. So I'm sitting in my chair, and I hear behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Too much on the mic? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it sounded like a snot factory. Mm. It, it sounded like it was this, that guy. this guy had coughed up snot, eaten snot, shit snot, eaten a snot sandwich, and coughed up more snot. That's a lot of snot. A lot of snot, bro. It's not bad. So, I'm here all week. Much respect. You're welcome. So he's just going and going. The flight, plane hasn't take, taken off yet. I just had to get you back for that slap. A little more. Yeah. 
No, that was really really catty, Z. I didn't want to actually, you know, I, I, I mean, I have big muscles. I didn't want to, like, break his face. That was kind of a, a bitch laugh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we you shut up, Tom Heineberg. <laughs> well, <laughs> so the guy was coughing up snot. So he's coughing, he's coughing and he's sneezing. You could just hear the, Ooh, the mucus. Yeah. And so I said, you know, I, I, of, of this I cannot abide. Yes. So I take one of my surgical masks and I turn around. And the, when uh, Tom and Logan said, bro, it reminded me of this. And I said, and it was a young hipstery kind of guy with a very well manicured beard. That and of guy. course, you know, two toddler snots going down his nose. Oh, God. And I said, bro, I think you might want to use this. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, and he, he was thinking, no, no, that's, that's not for me. That's not for me. And I said, let me rephrase this, bro. <laughs> Are you currently suffering from an upper respiratory infection with coughing and sneezing and snot coming from your nose? Yeah, I am. Don't you think your neighbors would appreciate if you wore this for the rest of the flight and didn't cough on them? And then it was just like the... Oh my God. But he put it on. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That takes balls. We, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've, got, I've got a friend, Nurse Bro. His name is. Nurse Bro. Jose Pacheco, we can call him who he is. Oh, okay. So he's, he is the, we call him the drunk whisperer. Because when there is a drunk, agitated patient, like picking up the stretcher and throwing it, we'll call him in and he'll walk in. And it's just, there's, there's no pretense, there's no bullshit. It's just, bro. Bro. <laughs> I can see you're having a bad day, probably the worst day in your life, but we can help you. But you gotta help yourself. So what's our next move here? And of course, there's 15 security guards outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I got that from. But I, so he's the bro whisperer. The bro, he, the bro whisperer slash a drunk whisperer. Wow. Yeah. See, but that's what it is, is you, you approach people, you have to disarm the defense, which is hard, mm -hmm. because your own defenses are up. Like you said, you immediately want to fight. You're in a fight or flight. I've been in those situations. And now it's just like, okay, the more you practice this, it's just like compassion. Mm -hmm. You can practice unlimited love in the face of someone suffering without taking that suffering on as your own. Well, Z, you, haven't, haven't you often used food to disarm? Yeah, I usually throw a pie in their face. <laughs> no, he uh, means turkey sandwich. Turkey, oh yeah, 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 here's your turkey sandwich and then your Dilala. And if they're totally disarmed. You, you should really check the board. Uh... Check the board. <laughs> Look at the screen. <laughs> oh, oh my God. You know Tom Heiner? I, that's amazing. Look, so Logan, who's somewhere mildly on the spectrum, is able to... Wait a second, Logan, can you raise your hand? Logan, where is he? There he is. No, <laughs> Logan in the blue shirt. Let me, let's, I want actually, wanna, I want to get back to some of your practices, because you're, you are now a professional public speaker, right? I mean, that's one of your main jobs, is you go and you speak, and you know, I've seen you do it several times now, and when I watch you on stage, you know, when you're, when you're in rehearsal, you know, you're kind of messing around and you're jocular and you're, you know, you, you are your own personality. And when you're on the main show, there's kind of this switch. It's, a, it's, it's you, but it's kind of a character. Yeah. But I, when I watch you before a talk, what I see is, you know, you're, you know, maybe an hour before kind of joking around and all that, but maybe 15 minutes before, like this. Like that, and you're quiet. You're not talking to anybody. You go to a separate place. What's going on? Like, how do you prepare for for that? Because when you talk, 
energetic, you're rapping, it's a show, it's music, and it's you know, super, super interactive. So what's that process from going from, I mean, really you're going from Zubin to ZDog MD? Hmm. You know what it is, I, I learned it a little bit around the TEDMED time when I did TEDMED. It's 2013, you're at the Kennedy Center and you're about to go on as the final thing of the day. People are tired and you're terrified. And I realized if you take, you know, five minutes before and you bring yourself right into the present moment, then the second thing you do is you look at your breath and see how agitated it is or not and you focus. I used to get debilitating stage fright, debilitating. And, and I mean like to where I swore I would never go on stage again because I would just, I would be like this, my heart, would, I'd get chest pain, like the full nine. And, and it would take years off my life, it felt like. I was like, I still had some hair then. It was all gone by the end. I was like, okay, this is not a sustainable pattern. So what I do is I, I bring myself in the present and then I try to focus on the idea that number one, it's a gift to be able to connect with this many people. And second of all, that deep down I know there's a gift that I can give the audience that I'm lucky to be able to give. And I think about that and I fill up with this kind of sense of compassion, like what a wonderful thing that I get to do this and that people are here to, to hear a message and we're gonna entertain them, but it's gonna be this. So I go through that in my head quickly and I feel this outpouring of love, so then I'm no longer scared. I, I go up and I'm like, okay, now I'm ready. And so now I don't get stage fright as long as I go through my my process. So what specifically, I mean, you're kind of, I mean, that, there's kind of generalities, right? Yeah. yeah. Like this process of, you know, I, I have this gift to give and you sound, you're very Moses-like. <laughs> I'll very carry Moses the tablets, like. the 15 That's commandments right. and drop right. five, the 10 commandments. It's five, 10, 10. <laughs> 10 commandments down here. But I mean, what, what is the specific process? That, I mean, what are the steps? What's your checklist as you do that? There isn't one. And in fact, cause I'm not that mentally organized. So mm -hmm. I will just feel this sense of compassion and love. And also for, I, I'll, I'll try to let myself off the hook because I'm my worst critic. Any, I can't watch video of me talking. It just makes me very uncomfortable. I'm like, this guy sucks. He's a scam. But whereas when I'm in the moment on stage, like it's weird. You Sometimes when you're in the zone and people describe this, you feel like you're channeling something and you see the audience and there's, they've done studies on this. If you look at actual brainwave EEG of an audience and a speaker, they synchronize during moments of flow. So you are not only in a flow state, you are sharing that state with 500 people at once. And it is a feeling like this is why you were put on earth for that moment that you're there. And so I look, I feel like, oh, I hope that happens this time. And if it doesn't, that's okay. And when it, when it happens, you're just like, wow. And when it doesn't happen, you're like, maybe next time. Well, then you kind of beat yourself up a little like, did I, was I, was I coming in with a bad attitude? Like what was going on? Yeah. I remember talking about stage fright. I was, when I was interviewing for residency, I, I can remember I was interviewing at this residency that was, it was, it was fresh, it was new. And you know, they were really hungry for, for candidates. And um, I thought, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm, I, I can just walk in there and uh, you know, write my own ticket. It'd yeah, be, yeah, be totally yeah. fine. So <clears throat> I'm sitting there interviewing and the, it was a panel of people and I'd been hanging out with them all day. They were you know, super nice. And I was wearing a, like a white shirt from, where did we shop in med school? Marshalls. Oh, hell yeah, yeah. Marshalls and Ross. Yeah. I put that in one of my videos. Really? Yeah. Uh, and, and it had the, the button down collar, not yep. even the tabs. Yep, couldn't, the afford tabs. The tabs. couldn't afford the tabs. Couldn't afford the tabs. Couldn't afford the tabs. So I'm talking and talking and I'm looking at, the, at this panel and they're asking me 
really benign questions. And then I feel this, oh, and it goes, single drip. drip. And then it goes, drip, drip, drip. And it's like a, like a movie where this waterfall of sweat was, was coming down. And, my, and I'm sitting there in front of this group and I could tell they feel so bad for me. And it just, it becomes so drenched in sweat and they're almost laughing. It's like, you know what, all right. I'm just gonna own this. <laughs> so I'm just gonna own yeah. this. But after that, that was in 1994 or five when I was doing that. After that for, you know, 15 years when I would speak, you know, and then started doing a lot of public speaking, I would get so much, I guess, anxiety mm. that I would, I would sweat through an undershirt, a shirt, my suit, and just like for the first 10 minutes be vibrating, vibrating. And it wasn't, it wasn't that I was, I don't know if it was, if, if it was fear or what, but I had to take beta blockers yeah, before sure. I spoke. So I took beta blockers and then I was, I was chill. And then I heard somebody say something that really made a difference for speaking. It was that, you know, the people you're talking to, they want you to succeed. They want you to succeed. They want you to succeed. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, we want the same thing. Yeah. It was because I think the mindset before was you're assuming they're expecting you to fail. Right. But no, no they want you, they succeed, want you to succeed. And they want, they want, to, they want to be synchronous with you as well and, you know, and learn and want you to do well. They want to hear a good talk, which you've practiced for. And it was just that, that's, I mean, you know, doing it, yeah. you know, over and over you and over again. You gotta do it a lot, you repetition. Gotta, yeah, yeah. You, gotta, you, you gotta grind it out. Yeah. You gotta grind it out and practice. But just that, that change in mindset was like, after that, no more beta blockers. You know, remember that time you took beta blockers? <laughs> it turned me into a Mike, Mike a Pence? Texas K, a Mike Pence. He like, went full alpha. Ohio. Full alpha. I went full alpha. <laughs> oh my god! I blocked all my beta and I went. See, this is what happens when you get muggles doing medicine. Well, you know, we, we, <laughs> the the thing. So much of what you said, I wanted to just quickly unpack because it's amazing. Like, first of all, your physical response. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, now having done this for a while, and even the, the meditation study of it, it's your unconscious sub-minds kind of expressing the anxiety in a physical way. Right. Trigger right. sympathetic response. You won't even notice it, but you're very deeply, on an unconscious level, part of your mind is very uncomfortable with this. So the first step is, well, you take the beta blocker, well, you block that, but then through repetition, you recondition that sub-mind mm -hmm. to go, you're not gonna die, no one's gonna stab you, it's not a fight or flight thing. It's all gonna be fine. And, uh, and then it gets better. So that's why doing it a lot, practicing, really does help because it conditions. The other theory I have, and I've said this on the show before, is stage fright is our primitive uh, evolutionary response. We're tribal creatures. You get up in front of the tribe, your goal is to persuade them to follow you, not kill you, get you food, not excommunicate you from the tribe. Your life is in danger when you stand up there because your reputation is in danger. Mm -hmm. Now you drag that into 2018, right. Right. you go up in front of a stage of a thousand people at Essentials of Emergency Medicine, you feel like on an unconscious evolutionary level that your life is in danger. And that is a debilitating fight or flight. So once we start to recognize that, repetition can improve it, but we have to understand we're humans and this is how we evolved, you know? You know, I that's interesting talking about like your life is in danger. Found that another thing that worked really well was before a talk, I would meet people in the audience, you know, just to talk to them so that, you know, it was, some, it was like talking to somebody I knew rather than walking out to a pack of, of strangers. Yeah. 
It's just not a packet ranger. It's a group of friends. It's a group of friends, and yeah. that was that was a big change in that mindset as well. That helps a lot. You know what I find now is I go out to these talks the night before, and I mingle with people, and I get to know them, and I become friends, and I tell stories, and we laugh. And then when I go up, I'm going up in front of my friends, and it, and it diffuses everything. Not only that, but the performance is better because I never write my performances out. I never practice them. The practice is going out and doing them, <laughs> which is clear. Which is when clear from the <laughs> So they're a little they're a little different every time, and a lot of it bubbles up from the unconscious. And then I decide in the fly, am I going to say what's in my mind right now? And a lot of times I get it right and a lot of times I get it wrong. And it's funny, you kind of feel it in a flow. But if you're not relaxed, you're going to get it wrong more than not if you don't, if right. you don't prep. Yeah. So I want to change gears yes. to music videos. Yes. All right. So I have never worked in a hospital where someone hasn't pulled me aside and said, hey, you got to see this guy. Have you heard of, have you heard of Z Dog MD? And you know what I say? Oh, you mean Zubin Demania? Let me call. No. 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 <laughs> so I think I've gotten some of these texts, you asshole. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, hey, just say hi real quick. <laughs> so the you know that's the thing I think that people people identify with the most is you know it's kind of a parody of what we do in medicine, and it's funny, it's irreverent. But there's got to be a process to this. I mean, there's a lot of time that goes into it. And, and I see this from two ways. One is, you know, it must take weeks to put these things together. But I can, I can remember, you know, back when we were both starting out, you know, like a you know, brand new podcast, you were just putting out your videos. I'd call you up and I'd say, hey, man, can you make me a wrap for my show tomorrow? And then in 12 hours, it'd be a fully formed wrap on that topic. I'm thinking, all right, how does he do that? And then... Those are still available online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I'll on do? SoundCloud. Yeah. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make a little... Uh, a little compilation? A little show, a little compilation from oh, when we put this out on, nice. on my show. A little compilation of Z-Dog. I like that. Yeah, very yeah. great success. Hello, very good. I, I, very I like, I like you. Quite strong with plow. You're a very handsome man. Yes, yes. Number two. <laughs> Number three. Chingui. Number one. Number yes, one. Yes, bequeen. <laughs> very funny. <laughs> Not. Not. Okay. So the parodies? Yeah. So what is the process of how you do that? What is the, is it first you hear the, you hear the beat and you think, oh, I could put something to that. Or is it, oh, I want to do a parody on thrombose hemorrhoids. And I got to start Who putting doesn't? the, I mean, yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. So is it, is it the idea first? Or is it the music first? How's it work? It completely depends. So here's a good example. The other day, uh, I did a live show and I was like, man, you know, I was singing some crap, goofing off, and I go, you know what, I got poison. Every rose has its thorn. What a great song. And I just started saying, every rose has, has its thorn. thorn. Just like every night has its dawn. And just like every cowboy sings a sad, sad song. <laughs> Every rose has its frown. You asshole, Logan. How dare you diffuse our moment with that ridiculous? Oh, good God! Well, you never heard is. our you never heard our deep hit music video, Barney builds the wall. Wait a minute! It's a glorious wall. Every Barney builds a wall. Zubin. It is I, Bruce Vader. Doc Vader's emergency doctor cousin. Bruce, you're the first Jewish Vader I've ever seen. Well, you know, we come from a long and distinguished line. Of the Ashkenazi Sith Lords? Yes, the Ashkenazi Sith Lord. I tell you, this helmet is quite hot, and it sm smells of falafel. 
<laughs> All of the above are true. Yes. My head is perfectly sized for that. So it's going to be a little bit off. Why, by the way, why the hell is Ethan back there? I didn't even notice his ass. <laughs> Has he been back here all this time? What's Mother. You guys recognize Ethan? Ethan is in all the videos. He is twerking drunk in Good Day. He is patient in Moana. Uh, there's somebody else out there who's like making a face. I don't even know what's going on. This place has gone insane. All right, back to the parody so videos. So Poison, so a, vi I, a visit from Bruce Vader. Bruce Vader? How about like that? It. And now, Bruce Vader. Uh, so, so with Poison, it was interesting. On the show, live, I said, man, I'd love to do that. I gotta learn the chords. It'd be kind of interesting. Guys, give me some ideas for the song. So people put in ideas. Every toe has its corn. Ooh. Every vein has been blown. Ooh. All these different things. And I'm like, nah. So I show up on Monday. You're much more discriminating than I. Incredibly so. <laughs> I show up, by the way, people send me so many parody ideas. And um, most will, of them I'm, suck. They yeah. are horrible. Like <laughs> they're literally, there'll be a thousand of them and one will be enough that I go, maybe at some point I'll consider doing that song. But generally, they're just like, hey, you should do OPP with OCD. And there's like 30 different variations of that. And I'm like, you don't think that every single medical parody artist around has thought about that? Probably tried it and realized it sucked and hasn't done it. But so what happens to me is I, I then go, on Monday, I can't get it out of my head. Poison, mm -hmm. fuck, that's a really good song. I want to do something with that. Mm -hmm. I show up on Monday morning. These two assholes are here. Okay, we got to do business today. We're going to work on sponsorships. No, we're not. Elton John, Bernie Toppin. Exactly. I brought my guitar, Bernie. <laughs> we got to do this. And I just start playing the chords, which I learned that morning. Hey, can you guys work on an Elton John Z-Dog? We already We did. already got one. No, on the picture. Oh yeah, oh, here it comes. So we gotta uh, do a Dragon Ball Z thing first, but then we'll get to that. Dragon right. Ball Z dog, <laughs> wonderful. Uh, so I play him the chords, you know, you know, every rose has its thorn. And I go, okay, let's do this right now. Okay, how about this? How about this? Uh, it's about a code gone wrong. Every code has gone wrong. And we laugh and we go, okay, what's the rest of it? And we go through about 30 different iterations. We settle on one that we like. About half an hour later, we go live. We record it live. We edit it and we put it out. So that's the most streamlined you can imagine. Learn the chords, practice them right there, come up with the words and just put it out. And it's a piece of shit, but people like it to the tune of, you know, a bunch of views. We enjoy it. And then there's something like One Seek, which is our parody oh, yeah, yeah. of the Bare Naked Ladies One Week. Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing as if people would know what I'm laughing about. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just like, it's in process. It's in process. For the last 10 years, I've been thinking about this parody. It's been something I've been wanting to do ever since that song came out. It's your Macklemore. It's it, Macklemore. It's my thrift shop. <laughs> and it's about foreign medical graduates like my dad. You know, there's this one sink in the doctor's lounge, a Punjabi guy whose name no one can pronounce, three Janes in the ER, no, three Janes in emergency. Get that corn dog away from Dr. Mukherjee. So, you know, it's horrible. But it's going to be amazing. But we, it's like our Ishtar. We have to bang it out. And finally, there's going to be choreography and Bollywood, and we need to find a sponsor and all this other stuff. But it's going to be this huge production that's probably going to get less views than the frickin' Poison piece. So sometimes you just have to go with your gut and do it and don't overthink it. That's see, the moral see, of that you story. also got to tell the truth about our real muse, which is the best of the 90s playlist on Apple Music. We Pretty just go to right. the best of the 90s, and we're like, damn, you remember Bone Thugs and Harmony? Oh, yeah, bone, bone, I do. Bone, 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 bone. It's true. That's what me and Tom do. Let's spend 90s morning. And then we're like, uh, you know, she doesn't know an address. Her scrubs are always a mess. You catch her, what was it? What was it? You catch her charting, she won't be stressed. She's beautiful about a nurse. 
and it's Meet Virginia. It's perfect. She smokes a pack a day. Wait, that's a patient, but anyway, she doesn't care a thing about that, hey? She's beautiful. That's how we do it. You're serenading me, bro. I love you. Love I love you. you like a fat kid loves, uh, you know, cake. I was gonna go with something more refined. Go like, ahead, like take um, it. Take a angel food, um, a gluten-free cake, pastrami? a yeah, pastrami, okay. a gluten-free cake. Okay, yeah. Let's talk about vaccines. Do we have to? We must. All right. We must because, you know, a lot of practicing clinicians, when you have this conversation with patients, and by the way, we're we have five minutes left before our, our recording runs out. Oh, yeah, I was we do we have questions on here that people want to address to you, or is it uh, comments oh, with? Yeah, any 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 um, any questions, Tom Heineber? Shelley uh, called Ethan smoking outside guy, which is pretty accurate. That's right. So he was in the videos. He's this patient who smokes uh, with the IV. <laughs> smoking outside. Uh, let's see. Uh, these comments are beta blockers for the win. All right. So vaccines. Vaccines. Yeah. So when we talk with patients, it's you know we really try to tread lightly. Yeah. We, we want to respect, you know, their wishes and not, you know, kind of ruin ruin the relationship. Shared decision making. Shared decision making. You know, I think most physicians are thinking, this is probably the greatest advance in medical science ever, ever. I mean, better than antibiotics, better than surgery. Vaccines are going to prevent way more disease than any of this stuff. Yeah. And you know the, you know, we think about the misinformation and then the kind of the the partial dangerous level of education or miseducation. But we, we don't go deep in that. You throw it out there. You know, you just, you put it out there. You've been doing that for years mm. that, you know, immunize, if you're not immunizing, why aren't you immunizing? It's not smart not to do that. And, it, and you get a lot of flack for that. You got a lot of hatred for that. Sure. And I mean, how, what, what's your thought on that as far as, you know, how a big swath of the population feels towards you and, and really, you know, putting out there pretty antagonistically. <laughs> So typically I'm not somebody who likes being hated. However, with anti-vaxxers, I'm able to compartmentalize them in my brain. And I go, well, here's the thing. Other doctors can't say what I'm saying publicly. I'm gonna be their voice. Nurses, respiratory therapists, pediatricians, they can't say, if you don't immunize, you're a fucking dick. You're stupid, you're dangerous, you're misinformed, you're acting from fear, which is all human but I'm not gonna let you off the hook. I'm gonna ridicule you, and I'm gonna turn myself into your bad guy. And that's fine, because if you're angry at me, maybe you're gonna be slightly more diffused when you go into your doctor who's had a fucking long day and has to deal with this all day and is trying to be patient. And if it inspires people on the front lines who are like, oh God, he said what I wish I could tell every patient, so that they then are inspired to have a little more patience and have that shared decision making and take the time, then I've, I've succeeded. So, that doesn't bother me. I'm honestly much more bothered when people criticize me about uh, stuff that's a little more gray. Like kissing more. Elton John? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> On the lips. On the lips, It wasn't the best segue, Logan. <laughs> you know, Logan, <laughs> I appreciate the Photoshop you did. Thank you. I'm just looking at this on the monitor and I'm... <laughs> Who's is he kissing? It's Elton John. Oh, who's the guy he's actually kissing? It's his husband. Oh. But I photoshopped your face on it. Well, now it's... Really? Well, now it feels better. Now it feels better. It feels better and worse. Because somehow you turned his husband into a cuckold. <laughs> you know what I mean? With a, you know, I mean, it's hard. How are you going to beat Z-Dog MD no. as a partner? You I should have put the logo on it. <laughs> You All right. put the logo we've on. got just a, we've just got a few minutes left. That's right. Here. So what what is silent no more? 
Silent No More is our is the hashtag we stole from the anti-abortion movement. <laughs> 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 this is how it went down. We did a show about the Delnor nurse who was uh, was held hostage, assaulted, and raped by a, a convict who escaped in Delnor in Illinois. And we sort of were the first to kind of break this thing of that, you know what, the press is lying to you, it's not the accurate story, and this is what really happened because I spoke with her because she follows the show. We did this thing and we said, listen, me and Tom were talking before the show, what's our hashtag for this? And we went through a few and we're like, how about silent no more? Because we have to speak up, we can't be quiet when one of our colleagues is assaulted and we need to have a voice when it comes to violence against healthcare providers. So we said, hashtag silent no more. We put it up. It goes viral, the hashtag becomes a thing. We found out after the fact, a bunch of anti-abortion people were messaging me, you stole our platform. And I'm like, I just took what was there and used it for stuff, so you know. So that's what Silent No More is. And we were very proud because a whole group of people in the ZPAC stood up and, and took it and ran with it and made it a thing so that we gotta be treated as human beings. We're trying to take care of you, don't hit us. Right? And administration, don't brush it under the rug. Don't say it's part of the job, because it's not. It doesn't have to be part of the job. How are we doing for time, Tom? You got two minutes. Two minutes, Dougie Fresh. Two minutes. <laughs> All right, key thing here, and this is, we were talking about you being abused. This is the most abused I've ever seen. It's kind of like physician on physician hate violence. And this is your, I guess you would say defense of nurse practitioners. Ah. That there was yeah. you know, this anesthesiologist in Florida mm -hmm. that you know went on this tirade, really kind of an ad hominem or just very abusive attack on nurse practitioners in general, and you came up in their defense, and then you then you were attacked for defending nurse practitioners. What was going on there? Yeah, so this is the thing. There's a contingent of physicians that are very threatened by nurse practitioners, especially in terms of scope of practice mm -hmm. and the fact that they um, are looking for independent practice. Mm -hmm. Now, I have never said that I think nurse practitioners should have independent, unsupervised practice. I, it's just not something that I've ever publicly felt or needed to say because I don't know enough working directly with nurse practitioners whether that's appropriate. I leave that for, for the lawmakers and for the regulatory boards and for physician groups to figure out. What I do know is, as doctors, even though we don't feel like it, we are punching down when we attack people by calling them minions, by calling them uh, low IQ, by doing things like that. And punching down in comedy is never okay. In life, it should never be okay. We are better than that. So I will stand up and defend the fact that we need to behave as civilized adults. When we're talking to each other, we need, we're all on the same team, we can support each other, and this is what happens. They will lobby to like cancel speaking events, they will attack me directly as ZDog NP, all of this, and I'm like, fuck yeah, go ahead. And they'll say things like, he doesn't practice medicine, he supports full nurse practitioner licensure. I'm like, I never said that, and I do practice. So what the fuck is wrong with you? And part of me gets really defensive, mm -hmm. but then part of me meditates it off and says, this is exactly the contingent. Here's my, you wanna know my honest and truth feeling? If you're that fucking intimidated by someone that you think is that lower, so much lower than you, what the fuck is wrong in your head? How bad of a doctor must you be that that scares you so much? Okay, that's what I think. If you really believe they're that inferior to you, then why, it's like, it's like hitting a child. Why would you do it if you believe that? And I don't, but that's what, that's what they say they believe. So it's crazy to me, it gets me really pissed off.
All right. Well, I think yeah. we're out of time. Thanks for coming on your show. Thank you for <laughs> Z-Dog MD. interviewing me. Hey, it's really this has been Against Medical Advice with Rob Orman and our guest, Z-Dog MD, Zubin Nemanja. Rob, I love you, man. You, guys, just so you know, just so you know, Rob, check out his uh, podcast. We're going to put links everywhere. He is a star. He's an amazing educator, an amazing human being. He's one of the earliest doctors that supported and believed in what we're doing, and we support and believe in him continuously. Rob Orman. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, my brother. And we out. You mother. <laughs> One, two, three. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.